before Kathy comes up. Uh, whenever she reads, I want you guys listening and paying attention on the screen and just like thinking about the things that are being read. And this is the last chapter of Matthew. Um, and just paying attention to the things that are being read and, and see what things stand out to you um, that just like kind of either catch your eye, catch something in your spirit um, that just make you go, hmm, interesting. So pay attention to those things. I'll be back in a minute. So this is Matthew chapter 28. Now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning and his clothes as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. But the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come, see the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and indeed he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. So they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to bring his disciples' word. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, Rejoice! So they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Now while they were going, behold, some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priests all the things that had happened. When they had assembled with the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers, saying, Tell them, his disciples came at night and stole him away while we slept. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will appease him and make you secure. So they took the money and did as they were instructed. And this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. So I realized that was one of the sneakiest ways to shorten a sermon is by wear the drummer out. Um, playing and make him out of breath so he can't talk for very long. That was very sneaky, Dan. (laughs) All right, so some of these things that you guys um, heard there in Matthew 28, what were some of the things that caught your ear, caught your eye? Some doubted. Okay. Jesus rose again, yeah. How does Matthew know what snow is? Yeah, I don't know. 
Say that again. Where he appointed them? Yeah. Okay. It doesn't say. Yeah, it's speculation. Yeah. No, no, like noticing that it's a mountain. There's actually seven mountains in, that are actually explicitly stated in Matthew. And they actually have a very interesting thing that hopefully we'll have time to get into a little bit today. The deception and the bribery. Yeah. 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 Yep. Playing into it. And they shouldn't have been. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You would think that the chief priests would be the ones who would be like, no, we actually see what and realize because of our scriptures what is actually taking place right here, right? Yeah, so there's, there's all of these different things that are going on. Um, there's the first day of the week. What do we know about the first day of the week? It's a new beginning. There's something like Matthew wants us to see that there's this new beginning taking place. That's why he's like, on the first day of the week, this is taking place. There's so many different things that are going on. But specifically in Matthew 28, I think one of the, one of the things that we need to realize is that Jesus has just died. He is resurrected, and he doesn't think it's over. Like, he doesn't think that his work is finished. Like, he realizes there's still something to be done. He doesn't go, all right, finish my work. I'm going to go prepare a place for you because I didn't quite finish it before I came here. So I'm going to leave, and I want you guys to just sit still and don't screw anything up while I'm gone because the last time I left you guys, that's what happened. So I need you guys just to sit still and just hold on until I come back. He doesn't say that. He's like, no. I'm going to send my Holy Spirit to actually indwell you so that you guys can go do exactly what I did. So he doesn't think that this is finished. Like, that, like he realizes like what he did as far as conquering sin, conquering death is done. But he doesn't think that like the building of his kingdom has come to an end. And that's what's going on in Matthew 28. Is he's like, Matthew is saying, on the first day of the week, this is just the start. This isn't the end of something, right? This isn't the end of, of whatever was. Like, it's the beginning of something new. It's the beginning of a new kingdom. So like today you would think potentially um, being that it's going to be election week here that I should talk about the election um, and, uh, and, and tell you how after this week everything could potentially be different and all of these different drastic things that could potentially happen. But what I'm going to tell you about is that whoever gets elected, Christ is still preeminent. Amen. Christ is still sitting on the throne. His promises don't, that, that are yes and amen don't suddenly become no and nah, I don't know what to do now. They are going to still be yes and amen, no matter who gets elected. We are still part of his kingdom. Right? Amen. The political authority in this land that we often think is this great political authority is dust. It's pittance. It's nothing. And we'll stress about it. And we'll get all worked up about it. But there is a greater authority. And that's what Matthew wants us to see. That's what the whole Bible wants us to see. Is that we have a king who reigns and rules on high. Who has actually indwelt us with his spirit to be able to go out and do the things that he did on earth here now. For every day moving forward. That's what I want to talk to you about today. I don't care about what's going on in the election. I don't care who gets voted in. I do in one sense, but I don't really care because in one sense, that's just this little, little thing. I know the reality of what I'm actually living into. I know the reality that we've been called into. 
And that's what I want us to focus on today. So, there's multiple things that I want to talk about with Matthew 28. Some of them are going to be um, some literary structure kinds of things. You might go, oh, who cares about literary structure? Just tell me exactly what like, Matthew is saying here. Like, who cares that there's seven mountains? Who cares that there's these five teachings of Jesus? Who cares that there's... So who cares about the Word of God? Is that what I just heard? No, 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 no. That's not right. So we need to pay attention. Like, we need to realize that there is actually this incredibly intelligent mind behind the Bible. That it's, it's beyond just human writing. It's, it's Tolstoy gets left behind. Robert Frost gets left behind. Mark Twain gets left behind. It, they can't compare to the depth and the intricacy and the layers and all of these different things that are going on in the Bible. And that's what I want us to have our eyes open to. That there is, this isn't just a flat story. This isn't two dimensions. This isn't just something that's basic and like I can just read it and like get the whole thing in one go. It's about meditation. It's about dwelling and dwelling and dwelling and dwelling and meditating and understanding and, and seeing all of these intricacies that it never actually has an end. So I want to talk to us about literary structure, about patterns, about arrangement, overlays, all these different things that are really important. So um, as an example, um, think about um, uh, Jesus was, was sold into slavery, or sold, by, sold into basically captivity, and um, thought, uh, was, was, was killed, um, and then was brought out and actually found to be alive, and is actually ruling and reigning. So that's a very similar story to the Joseph story, who has a brother, has multiple brothers that sell him, gets, puts him in the ground, and then thought to be dead, he gets sold off and ends up being the ruler and reigner over this whole region, basically, all right? So there's this overlay that we're going come to back, come back and look at in a little while. Um, if, we, if we look at also, um, the, at the end of the Jewish Bible, you have King Cyrus. Can you pull up slide four? Um, King Cyrus at the very end of the Jewish Old Bible. Ooh, it's so small. That's not good. All right, so Matthew 28 um, ends with, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So at the end of the Jewish uh, Old Testament, we have Second Chronicles 36:23. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in all Judea. Whoever is among you, all his people, may the Lord God be with him. Let him go up. So this is a very, very similar statement that at the end of the Jewish Old Testament and, and at the end of Matthew. And as we've seen all the way along in the book of Matthew, what Matthew is doing is he's c- continuing to have this Old Testament overlay, Old Testament overlay, and we're just tracking through the whole Old Testament. We all remember that at the very beginning. We have the genealogies, like this is a beginning. We have Joseph the dreamer. Um, we have uh, Jesus go up on the mount to, to teach, just like Moses went up on the mount. All of these different things, all the way through the Old Testament. We've, we've been going all the way through this. So in this, we finally get to the very end of the book of Matthew, and Matthew is going, this parallels with Cyrus, who's saying, go back, build the temple. What was the temple for? It was for the indwelling of the presence of God. So Jesus is on that mountain going, hey, this is that time. I'm actually telling you to go out. I'm actually telling you, you're going to be indwelt with my spirit. I want you to go do all of these things and, and actually bring disciples, make disciples of all nations. So there's these overlays um, that are going on. So I want us to kind of realize that we're going to get into some of these different things. Um, there's all of this different... Um, 
typology uh, of like what we just did with Joseph, what we did with Cyrus, um, and different things like that. Um, so, with all that, is everybody following me so far? Okay, so uh, pull up slide one real quick. So this is the five-section breakdown of Matthew. So you've got um, five teachings that Matthew does, and there's um, stories interspersed between there. And so um, in the Bible, um, it's not uncommon for these different literary structures to be used, and they want us to actually see something and actually understand something and overlay them with something else. So you have these um, five teachings of Jesus, and then go to the next slide. It's going to get small, yep. Um, so you have the, at the very beginning, you have the Pentateuch, which are your five books of um, the, the Torah. And then the Psalms is broken up into five books, and Matthew has these five teachings. So I'm not actually going to go into these things. This is stuff for you to go and spend your own time dwelling, meditating on. I want you guys to go and like, dig, dig into Matthew even more, even though this is the last time we're, we're going to be talking about it in this series. So Genesis... Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, uh, Deuteronomy, all of those things overlay with the five teachings, five sections of Matthew. Same with the five sections of the Psalms. They all overlay over top of each other, and they actually shed light, each and every one, on top of each other. Does that make sense? Yes? Is there a way we can get those if we go online and... Well, the first column, if you just go to your Bible, you'll find those ones. The second one, um, yeah, it's just like... When, you know when you're reading through the Psalms and it says book one and then you keep reading and it says book two? Yep, you'll find those. Um, those uh, things from Matthew, um, those ones are in the notes from the very two introductions. It should be the second intro um, that we did at the beginning of the series. Should be notes online. Yep. If not, you can let me know. I'll, I'll get you something. Any other questions on that? Okay. We'll do that in a little bit. All right, um, and then can you pull up the, the seven mountains real quick? Yep. So in Matthew, there's also these seven mountains. So with these seven mountains, um, do the chiastic structure real quick. Yep. So in the Bible, there's these different things where um, you have, like the word race car spelled the same forward and backwards, right? Okay. So we, we have these different things that we realize these kinds of things exist. In the Bible, they actually do this literarily on purpose. They actually want us to, to realize they're making a point at point one, and then two, three, four, and then five actually correlates back to three, six correlates back to two, and seven correlates back to one. This is a very common strategy um, because they didn't have a lot of paper, didn't have a lot of time to be writing all these things um, and, and re-scratching them out and having a typewriter that they can go back and you know, switch everything around. So they'd use these different structures to show different things. So today, Matthew is saying Jesus is on that Mount of Commissioning, which relates to which mountain? The very first mountain, so the Mountain of Temptation. What happens on that mountain? Jesus is out in the wilderness. Um, the devil takes him to a high place and says, Yeah, that, he, that, that Satan has all authority, that he has all of the land. It's all his dominion. And he's like, and if you bow down to me, then I'll give it to you. But that's not what Jesus does. And we actually see that Matthew intentionally lays these mountains out to show that that first mountain was nothing until we get to the seventh mountain and we see that Jesus comes out and he goes, no, I have all authority. I have conquered over everything. I am the one who has done all of these different things. We see that 
that Jesus, um, from that point on, from the mountain of temptation, actually goes out and he is that new Joshua. He actually goes into the land. He circumcises the land. He brings, uh, he, he takes, takes the, the enemy captive in one sense. Um, he is that um, Samson who actually pushes down the pillars and actually lives um, into his death, actually brings more life. Um, Jesus is, is the Ark of the Covenant that actually goes into the Philistines' uh, temple and Dagon collapses and his head falls off. Jesus is the David who cuts off the head of the Goliath. Jesus is the Jonah who goes into the belly of the whale and after three days is spit back out. And Jesus is that new Moses who actually takes us out of captivity and brings us into freedom. So those are the things that we should be seeing all the way along. So in that mountain of temptation, he's like, I have all authority. I have all of these different things that Jesus is actually like, no, I'm coming and I'm going to clean the land. I'm coming and I'm going to cut off your head. Remember, he's going to bruise his heel and he's going to crush his head. That's, that's the same thing that's going on here. He's like, and Satan's like, I'm going to come and swallow you. I'm going to take you down because that's what I do. I come to kill, steal, and destroy. And just like, bring it on. Bring your worst. Through my death, I'll bring life. Through my death, I will, I will bring life to my people. So then we have Jesus on that mountain. And now I can actually, I want to, like, now that we kind of get some understanding of where we're going through with Matthew, we can actually talk about um, that commissioning. So we have Jesus. Can you pull up that fourth slide again so we can look at that? Yep. So we can look at that commissioning. So Jesus says, I have all authority in heaven and on earth and it has been given to me. So we now see that that is what has taken place through Matthew, that he has actually been growing through, and he's been taking hold, and he's been conquering every single place, and through his death, he actually conquers in the greatest sense. So he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Five teachings, all right? We looked at those a little while ago. There was these five teachings so he, he apparently taught quite a few different things. So what were some of those things that he taught? In Matthew 5.38, he says, You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right, turn to the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone force you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you. And do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. So go and teach them to observe all these things. If you get slapped in the face, realize you can turn the other one. If, you, if, you, if they ask you to go one mile, go two. These are, I'm, gonna, I'm actually going to intentionally pick out the ones that make us feel uncomfortable. Um, that, like, it's not the nice, friendly ones that we're like, oh yeah, I'll, I'll do that for that. That makes sense. Um, so another one that Jesus says, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of, our, of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes the sunrise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. So as this election comes, whoever you think your enemy is, it's not people, right? Our battle isn't against flesh and blood against the rulers, powers, principalities, and authorities. So in this, realize, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Those people around you who vote against what you want or or, or do things that you don't want, we don't go out and, and try to destroy them. We bring life and we bring peace. We love them. We bring that restoration. We bring that, that Edenic blessing into creation. 
Matthew 5.48 says, You therefore must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Matthew 19.21 says, Jesus said, said to him, If you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. So it's like, wow. So sell all that you possess to come and be my disciple. What if we actually believed some of these things, and actually started to live some of these things, that we actually gave up an entire paycheck to, to, to help somebody else out? Would that change things? Would that change the way that we're, we interact with the world? Would that change the way that the world actually sees us as people who actually are known by our love, not just how we judge people or how we do certain things? Matthew six nineteen through 21 says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy or where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor, nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. These are the things that Jesus taught. And he's saying, go out, teach them to observe all that I commanded you to do. Even these uncomfortable things. It's not just the things that we like. It's not just, blessed are the merciful, for they shall inherit something. Like, it's not just the things that we're like, that's exciting. It's like, bless your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Sell your possessions to the poor. Help, sell your possessions and give to the poor. These are the things that he says, go and make disciples, teach them to observe these things. We have to be living those things to be able to teach them how to actually do that. We can't just tell them, hey, go and do this. Like, be a disciple. You should do these things. I'm not going to do it. We actually have to live the same thing that we're actually asking people to live out. Go back to that, that slide again. Yep. So... Um, and he says, Though I'm, and, and, uh, everything I command you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so in this, I am with you to the end of the age. This is actually the whole book of Matthew. Remember that, that mountain chiasm that I showed you? This is the whole book of Matthew actually ending with a chiasm. Or the whole book of Matthew is a chiasm. Um, and it's like, Emmanuel, at the very beginning, God with us. This is, at the end, he's like, I am God with you. I'm actually going to be with you to the very end of the age. This is Matthew retying in from the very beginning back to the very end going, God will be with you to the very end of the age. Okay, so I want to get back to that, to that Joseph thing and back to that Cyrus thing. So with, um, with what Jesus is saying right here, with him being that Joseph, we realize that Joseph had a dream, right? A couple dreams at the very beginning. And it says... Um, at the very beginning of, of those dreams that he, he dreamt that there were all these sheaves that bowed down before him, right? And then there, he has all these, do what? And then, and then the sun, moon, and stars. And so we have something that grew in the land and then something in the heavens above. And then we see that Joseph, whenever he's actually ruling over all these different people, that he actually, um, when, when his brothers come to him, he actually, they bow down and they worship him. And he's like, oh. I remember those dreams that I had when, when the sheaves were going to bow down and when the sun, moon, and stars. What we, should see, what, what we should see is that Jesus is actually that greater Joseph, that he has all of the authority in the land, those sheaves that are bowing down. This is, this is very, like, I realize this is weird and potentially complex. Or this is a very standard way that the Bible writers write stuff, is that we should see this overlay of, of how um, these, these sheaves are bowing down, these things that are grown up in the land, um, and these sun, moon, and stars going, this is all authority in heaven and on earth that Joseph is um, ruling in that way, but Jesus actually comes to be that greater one who rules greater and greater. Um, and so again, 
that's what we see all throughout Matthew is that Jesus is getting to that point where we're like, oh, wow, he is greater than all of these Old, Old Testament things, all these Old Testament people. Same thing with Cyrus. Whenever Cyrus says, go back and build the temple, that's what Jesus is doing. Um, and we realize, so let's jump into Ephesians um, real quick. So Ephesians 2. So Ephesians 2:18, for though we have both access in one spirit to the Father, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household, a hold of God, built on the foundations of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole, whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into the dwelling place of God. So let's jump back a little bit further, uh, earlier in, in Ephesians. So um, we have um, Paul. Paul's basically writing a commentary on what has taken place through the life of Christ. Um, and so we see that he's actually saying, hey, um, I, want to, I, I pray that, they would, um, that you may give them the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened so that you may know what is the hope to which you have been called, what are the riches of your glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places, far above all rule and authority, and power, and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come, and put all things under his feet, and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him, who fills all in all. And so this is basically the same thing that Jesus goes and commissions. He's like, I have all authority in heaven and earth. Go and do these things. Paul's going, I ask that their eyes might be open to realize that this is what has been given. I ask that they would realize that Christ has all authority, over every power and dominion and over, over every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church. And we have to realize that, again, no matter what happens this week, no matter what happens ever in our life, that he is the one who still has all authority. He is still the one who has all dominion. He, has, he is over every power, every authority, every ruler, every principality, whatever it is, he is over those things. And we don't respond in anger. We don't respond in, in let me hoard these things so that I can keep myself safe. I don't do these things so that I can um, make sure that I punish somebody else for having different beliefs. I don't, I don't live in this way that is counter to the ways that he taught us. When he says, go and teach them to do all these things that I, I've taught you to do. How, how I've taught you to observe these things, I want you to go and do those things. I want you to teach them how to observe and live in this peaceable way. I want you to observe and teach them how do you live and bring the blessing of God to all people. So how do we do that, right? Like how do we actually live in that? Jesus, Jesus says that he actually um, has has given us something pretty awesome um, to, to, to make it possible for us to live that way. It's called the Holy Spirit. So let's go to um, Galatians 5 real quick. For freedom, Christ has set us free, therefore. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. He is that new Moses who says, I am bringing you out of captivity, out of slavery, and into this new life. Remember at the very beginning of Matthew 28, it says, on the first day of the week, Again, this is a new beginning, just like, Matt, just like uh, Moses brought them out into a new beginning. That's what's going on here. So, 
For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that, you, that if, you, if you accept circumcision, Christ will, not, will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who are justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of, of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You are running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is, is not from the one who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will, you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brother, still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been remo- removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. Sometimes the Bible says uncomfortable things. For you are called, called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. And then this is the part that we need to realize that there is, this, there is the, the animating force of God that actually lives inside of us. It's the spirit. And where the spirit is, there is freedom. And it says, keep, uh, but I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. But these are opposed to each other. So, so to keep from doing the things you, to, you are, you, sorry, let me go back a little bit. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God, but the fruit of the Spirit. This is our part, guys. This is the part that we live into, that when the power of Christ is actually indwelling us, when we're actually walking by his Spirit, these are the things that come out even in an election year, even in a crazy virus year, even in a social distancing world, even in whatever you want to toss in from this year, this is still the fruit that comes out of us, even in those times. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. If we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. That is what the whole entirety of the Bible is getting at from beginning to end. That's what Jesus, in this whole overlay of Matthew, is showing the whole Old Testament overlaid in the book of Matthew. And the whole thing is getting us back to Emmanuel, 
God with us, the presence of God so that we can actually live in his rightness, in his righteousness, in his peace, in his joy, in his love, in his patience, that the fruit of God might actually flow out of us into creation, that that blessing of Eden might actually be in us, that we would be fruitful and multiply, that just like at the very beginning of, of, the, of the book, <laughs> of the Bible, um, that at the very beginning, the first chapter, God says, go have dominion, subdue the earth, be fruitful and multiply. That's exactly what Jesus is saying right here. He's saying, take my kingdom, go subdue all those who don't know me, teach them to observe these things, bring them into my kingdom, be fruitful and multiply, and let us actually live into the life that Christ has had. Like the light of Christ has dawned on us. So let us rejoice and be glad and merry and actually live this out with excitement. Like just like Daryl was dancing this morning, there is a response that is required from us. There is a response that is required from us. Do we realize that? Like, in, in the reality, let's just imagine, just for a second, this might be crazy, but let's imagine that God is, like, amazing. Amen. I mean, this might be hypothetical, but, like, just hold with me. It might sound crazy for a second. Let's just imagine he's amazing. Second thing, let's imagine that he created everything. Let's imagine that he created you and every single person before you, and every single person after you. And the thing that he wants is you to love him and to experience his love from you. Yes. And when we realize that, that 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 is what his heart is, is that he created everything, but the crowning jewel was humanity. The last thing that he breathed his breath into, giving, giving the greatest part of who he is to us, that he wants us to be indwelt with his spirit, to live that way, to experience his love and give that love back. Then we get it when, when, when David all of a sudden is just like stripping down and just rejoicing. We get it when we realize that he is that great, that grand, that amazing, and I can't stop praising his name. We get it when we see people dance, and we get it when we see people raising their hands and jumping around. There's this new life that has been brought into us, and it's not just, you know, the force from Star Wars. It's the animating power and presence of the living God not just coming into us, but then putting his love throughout every part of us so that we can then replicate and duplicate that, that we are his ambassadors, that we actually go out and do these things, that that we actually go out and represent exactly what he does. We don't pray, God, hey, um, I ask that you would, like, God, why aren't you doing these things? Or God, I ask that you would do this. And he's like, I gave you my authority. What are you doing? Go do this. Like, I asked you to do this. That's what he said from the very beginning. He's like, I created it all. I made this awesome playground for you guys. I want you to take my will, my heart, my desires, the things that I do. I want you to learn obedience. I want you to learn how to obey the way that I've taught you to do these things. I want you to do these things and then expand the borders. 
And that's what he's saying in Matthew 28. He's like, I have taught you how to do this. I've taught you what you need to know. I'm going to give you the presence of my spirit with you. And I'm always going to be with you. This time, when you disobey, you're not getting cast out of the garden. You have the blood of Christ, a better sacrifice, covering us. So you're not getting cast out of the garden. You're conti- like, I will be with you always, even when you fail, even when you make mistakes. I'm still going to be with you. So go out. Do these things. Make those disciples. Change the world around you. It doesn't matter how things look. It doesn't matter how things could get worse. It doesn't matter how things could get better. It's that we have the light of Christ within us, and light casts out darkness.